0: Coastal News Today and the American Shoreline Podcast Network's coverage of the 2019 Coastal States Organization Fall Membership Meeting is provided by Coastal Transplants. Making dunes grow through consultation, vegetation, sand fencing, and maintenance. Coastaltransplants.com And accommodations provided by Troy Giles and the Palms Resort and Cafe on the Beach. PalmsResortCafe.com If you're looking for the most charming place to stay in South Padre Island, go to the Palms Resort and Cafe. And the American Shoreline
1: podcast is back at the Coastal States Organization meeting. We're at the member and guest meeting here in South Padre Island at the fabulous Pearl on the beachfront in South Padre. And uh, talking to the professionals who are here from all over the United States and the American territories. So, we are really, really happy to have two special guests from American Samoa. Talofalava.
2: Talofalava.
1: Yes, and I assume that means greetings from American Samoa. Yes, it does. And uh, we have with us Sandra Fui Maono Lutu, who is the Deputy Director of Resource Management Division for the American Samoa Department of Commerce and I think the boss of the Coastal Management Program for American Samoa, and her right, as you said, your right and your left-hand assistant, uh, Raynette Thompson-Niko, Nico, is the Finance and Personnel Manager in the same division. These are the women who are the leaders of the American Samoa Coastal Management Program. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on the American Shoreline Podcast.
3: Happy to be here. Thank you for inviting us.
1: Well, take us please to this fabulous, I mean, we're all mainlanders. Everybody fantasizes about where you are and what, the, what, the, what it's like to be out in the Pacific Island nations. Um, can you introduce our audience around the country to American Samoa?
3: Sure. It's always uh, a pleasure to introduce where we're from. You come to a land that has so much land. Just think of a dot or speck in the middle of the South Pacific. And that's the beautiful islands of American Samoa. We are the southernmost U.S. soil. And we're so proud huh. to be part of America. And it's, uh, the many um, blessings that come with that partnership, especially for the ability to live within this realm, but also be able to keep our identity as a culture and as a people. So we are Samoan. Many people know the samoans across the nation with sports. Right. But there are also a lot of professionals in Samoa and across the nation in politics and every other aspect of the professional world. So we're from American Samoa South Pacific, right smack in the center of Cook Islands, Tonga, the independent state of Samoa, Niwe, Tokelau, not too far from Australia and New Zealand, to kinda give you a perspective and as you are experienced going into your winter, we're going into our summer.
0: Ooh. In southern hemisphere. Nice. Yeah. Now, hold That's on a second, Peter. I, I just have a quick question. Yeah. Um, by, by what mean? I mean, obviously, you flew uh, here, but I'm curious, curious to know. You, t- you take off from Samoa, and you go to, how do you even get, uh, do you fly to Hawaii? Yeah, tell uh, us about your trip here.
3: Well, it depends on who's paying. (laughs) If the federal (laughs) government is paying, then we have to go on a U.S. carrier. Uh So we need to come through Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, okay. So that's a five-hour flight. And then from Honolulu, Hawaii, we fly to the West Coast. So it could be any of those cities. This time we landed in Los Angeles, California. We flew from there to Houston, from Houston to Harlington, and then drove out here to the beautiful South Padre Island. So. Combining flight time, drive time, and layovers, it took us at least 24 hours to get here. Wow.
1: What a privilege to have you on the show and, and great effort. Um, how many islands in the chain and, and how would you, what is the, tell us about the population, a little bit about the islands, and as, a, as the professionals who look out for the coastline, um, what's the status? How do you feel about, the, about where you are?
3: So we um, have a population since the last census, and another one is coming up, of about 55,000. There are seven islands. Two of those islands are uninhabited. They're atolls. One is a national monument. Um, Another important factor is we have just two real economic pillars. One is the fisheries with starkest in American Samoa. And, of course, the U.S. government. Those are our um, employment engines. We're trying to develop the economy in other areas. I know many of these areas, such as South Padre Island and many other coastal states, are tourist areas. Right. And while tourism is something that we look to, we're also very mindful of not allowing it to dictate how we grow. And we want to keep our identity. And personally... I think tourism is much more fun if you come and experience how we live and coexist in two cultures
2: Thank that you. blend
3: together without losing ours. We, we speak our language. We do a lot of our cultural practices. It's intertwined with the work that we do, and it's very unique. And many times it's difficult to, to draw that out on paper because for someone who does not or does not know of our culture, it's difficult to picture what we're talking about. So we're so grateful to the Coastal States Organization as well as NOAA um, Office for Coastal Management and their uh, commitment to American Samoa, getting out there to American Samoa to see for themselves. This is what it looks like on the ground, what you look at, look at when you read a report or, in a, or on a computer. You can't visualize it until you come down there. So you do have to come down there to understand what we're talking about. I would love
1: to go. So
3: the islands, like many other islands, uh, the coastal zone is the entire island going three nautical miles out. As a coastal zone, um, uh, as the oversight for the coastal zone management program, coming into the program, I I have no background in anything science-y. I did not want to even take the job because I thought, I don't want to deal with people who sit in laboratories and Study data and all that stuff.
0: Pretty boring, really.
3: But as I got into it, I, I realized wait a minute, the scientists and the, the professionals behind there provide the data that we need to demonstrate why we do what we do and why we make those decisions. So, personally, I feel in American Samoa, coastal management is not a program. That's the way we live. We've been living resiliently for the last century and more. From our ancestors all the way down we were we navigated all the way to those islands without those huge motorboats that you guys everyone enjoys today we could go anywhere looking at the stars we could understand storms that were coming i could remember my grandmother telling us and it's like sunny and she'd say go outside and pick up the clothes get the mats off of the lawn it's going to rain and i'm looking at the clouds and i'm thinking no it's not and she goes do you hear that bird i said yes it's going to rain. Sure enough, within a few minutes, it rains. Or they'll look at the ocean and say, hey, Everybody head to high ground. Why? There's going to be a little bit more wave energy than we're used to. But because we depend on the ocean and the land in those days to survive, everybody lived on the coast. I mean, it, it was crazy. You would only go to the mountains to plant your taro and your breadfruit and things that your staple foods, but all of the food was from the ocean. And I used to share a lot as I begin to understand more of what the coastal management program does that it's so important to state that as a people and I think across the nation coastal management is the way we live what we do with those resources we're a very um god-fearing type of a country like we, we all go to church Sunday most of the stores are not open you go to church and even in on the pulpits it's preached We have these blessings. We need to be good stewards of those blessings, especially in the remoteness of an island in the South Pacific. Really need to know how to survive. And if you don't have that knowledge, you won't be able to. Unfortunately, as Westernization came in and we were taught to go to school and our parents said, go to school, we'll take care of the land, we'll take care of the ocean. A lot of those essential skills were not passed on to us. And a lot of what was um, how things were done traditionally, like our traditional governance is just an awesome system. It kind of deteriorated a little bit because those who would assume those positions are not are now in school and sometimes end up taking a job and raising their families somewhere else. So there's some little um, gaps now that as a management program, that's what we use as the framework to expand our 10-plus staff members to the entire island as much as we can. If we have everybody more knowledgeable through the traditional governance systems, through the faith-based organizations, through the government, those are the main groups that drive everything. If everybody has some knowledge of the value of, this is what we need to do to prepare for a storm. This is what we need to do to prepare before a storm. Why? Look at your children, look at my children. What is, what gift are we going to give them because obviously our ancestors gave us richly abundant rich resources for us to live off of what are we giving to them but ocean full of trash um lands that you can't grow anymore or what are we going to really depend like we are now for all of our food to be imported where does that leave you and me so asking those questions and being more deliberate about it so we took that information that's provided through the many support systems um, just given to us through the support from the people at the NOAA Office of Coastal, um, Coastal Management. And we're disseminating it in our culture within a way that they can understand it, layman terms. And um, if I can't understand it, there's no way anybody else is going to understand it. So sometimes I think it's good to put someone completely out of, touch with all of the science type stuff that goes on that's very important engineering and if you can explain it to me and I can understand it and explain it to somebody else then you're doing a good job but if you give me numbers and I can't understand it it's not going to get filtered and it's not going to get filtered up to to decision makers so I see a lot of that trend more everybody's telling stories and everything I do relates to something that I know because if I tell you a story that you can relate to, you're going to see it. And my kids, they, 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 it drives them crazy. I'm like, okay, look at the basketball team. Look, this is what you do. Do you want to come to the game and sit on a bench? And if someone passes through the ball, you no, I don't want to shoot. I tell that to my staff. Where do you want to go with your profession? Are you going to be the guy that wants to sit on the bench? I want to join the team so I can sit on the bench. And then you should probably just go play tetherball. There's no bench. So, I don't know, something like that. So that's how I feel about coastal management. It's a way of life. I think our people have mastered it. We need to kind of capture some of that indigenous knowledge and frame the science, um, the awareness of the science and see how like, dude, you, I mean, people, you had it down pat. It's just that our data was passed through music, song, dance. And then, of course, depending on who you teach it to, they'll just add their own little twang to it. Right. So some of that's lost and we're really excited about using that platform to roll out the value or the benefits of living sustainably and resiliently as a people like we have for centuries. And if you touch that pride and you tell everybody, we've done it forever, come on people, let's get it back, it's ours, own it. It's easier to get that message across.
0: Man. Well, I've I've got goosebumps uh, after that. I had a question, and I think you kind of answered it, uh, uh, which was having to do with how you are bridging this gap between the deep cultural and heritage knowledge that you have in just existing on this remote island over the years, um, you know, goodness, over the centuries, I guess, uh, with the challenges of you know this modern world in which we live um i guess you know you you talked about it but maybe maybe we can go a little deeper here what are there i'm just curious to know like specifically you mentioned uh your grandmother uh just understanding these kind of very deep uh connections with the planet the ocean she could hear a bird song and understand that something was going to change um H- and and also how you're able to motivate people based on hey we have pride. And so, c- do you have any other examples that you could speak to on that?
3: Do you have enough time?
0: Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: um I can talk about this for days because it's it excites me. I mean, initially when I first took on the job, I'm like, Dude, what am I going to do? I don't understand. half of the jargon that was I was reading and even in some of the meetings we are, it just like goes over my head like, can somebody please Remember that not everybody knows acronyms. Can we say the whole thing out and stop using them as words? Anyhow, one of the programs that I'm really excited about that we, we kind of use it as a gap bridger is the Fautasi Challenge Program. Now, the Fautasi is a longboat rowed by at about 50 people, captained by one, one captain, of course. It's not a motorized boat. Um, there's a number of different, different opinions of where this boat came from. But regardless of the ingenuity of this boat, I feel that the people have taken, they say, whalers and they're rowing and they've taken it. And they used it as a way to travel between islands. With 50 people, you have half of them rowing and the other half singing and keeping time. And then the other half rows when the other guys get tired. So it's like it continuously moves. And, of course, when you travel in the South Pacific in those days, don't travel by yourself. You need to take your posse with you because you don't know if that, that island or that village you're going to is going to be receptive or not. So you need to be ready either way. And then as a people, we have big cultural celebrations, whether it's the wedding and funerals, and it's really important for us to stay in touch and to be there for family. That's our insurance system. So the FOTASI is a platform for us that we believe that will engage everybody in that village there's if there's 50 men or boys on that boat there's going to be every single extended family represented there's going to be every faith-based organization represented the representative and the senator from that village will be on that boat in some form and if my son is on that boat guess what i'm going to be there my husband's going to be there the brothers are going to be there Their friends are going to be there cheering them on, and so we use the tagline called "a healthy coast is a wealthy coast," because you can just beautiful. You can just like do anything with that, and healthy coastlines also depend on the health of the individual, physically, mentally, emotionally, and groups like that. Sometimes you got to get out of your comfort zone, go do something for somebody else, and it's gonna that's it's just therapeutic. So this is a race. I mean, it used to be a transport system. But since the 1900s, it's been a race celebration between villages. It's like our NFL. You know, everybody that can afford a boat makes a boat. It costs them. Now they fundraise for it. Like, we're not a rich nation. 50, below, over 50% of our population are below poverty level. But they'll come together with their families across the nation and raise 200000 300000 to get a boat builder to build this long boat to race once a year, and that was on Flag Day. And our Flag Day is where we commemorate the union with the United States, which is was, was April 17, 1900. We've celebrated. It's like our, our annual celebration. So January all the way up to April, you know, everybody gets there. You're training about 100 guys out there, and they don't pick you until the day of the race. So you have that many people engaged. Wow. Then the boat sits there. So we decided, you know what, let's do another one. We're a coastal program. We don't access our coastal areas as much as we used to for subsistence. Because before you go in a canoe, no refrigeration, you just fish for the day. So you go fish every day. Now you have this one huge, big long liner, just fish for the whole year, just do a freeze it, and everybody just goes to the store. Nobody yeah. goes to fish, right? And as a people, we're not the type of people who like to go lay on a beach, we, we're taught to stay out of the sun. It's not healthy for you. Everybody goes to work or go in the morning before the sun goes up, then goes in the house, and then in the evening when the sun goes down, they're back out again. Either they're playing or working mm-hmm. or what have you. And it's uh, it's been like that for years. I remember trying to swim in the sun and my mom would get me out of the, the water. Are you crazy? You're going to get sick. Get out of the sun. So that's how we are. So we thought, okay, we need to re- recreate or reignite or increase the recreational interest of our people along the coast. Because if they don't get in the water, they're obviously not going to care what it's like. Right. So as we began to stage the second race, and we usually have it around this month, um, we find that the teams would go out there and they would begin to clean the beach or clean the area or along. the, And then we, we decided to call it, a, we put them, um, the village's, in an agreement with an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding. Yes. It's not a jargon. <laughs> very good. <laughs> and um, we challenged them. So the first challenge was, okay, you need to coordinate your own village cleanup. One. Number two, you need to coordinate a group for us to come and talk to you about what we do and the benefits of the Coastal Management Program. So we do it as they practice, because everybody's together. But we're very mindful of, the fact that they may not want to listen to what we're saying right. so we'll go out on the boat with them in the middle of the ocean they have nothing else to listen to but you anyways right <laughs> so in that's
1: the middle it's a, a, a great trend we have
3: a beautiful bay area it's, it's just gorgeous the most beautiful natural harbor in the world I don't care if people think I'm biased I'm gonna make that statement yeah. you got to come and see it and so um, we engage Department of Health and we add a, add a health component we have them come and check everyone's, you know, vital signs. And, and you know, there's a lot of chronic diseases that are rising in the Pacific. So what we've learned is they weren't intentionally littering. Because before when we cleaned our yards and stuff, we would, they're all biodegradable stuff. So we just cut them up, throw them back on a taro patch or onto the banana patch or whatever it is. And it's fine. But now we got foam, we got plastic, we got paper. So we're still sweeping it to that same area. But now the water is taking it down to our streams and into our oceans. And it doesn't look nice. There used to be staged um, village beautification visits from the local government. You know, everybody's pride. Oh, my village is the most beautiful village. People went to work. People got busy. That kind of faded away. So this is an attempt to bring back that village pride. Mm -hmm. You know, we have lands. We own our lands. We should be proud of those lands.
1: uh, Sandra I think what I'm amazed by and listening to you and I've talked to a lot of coastal management people through my career but what is amazing to me is the breadth of what you're talking about how it all fits together the cultural connection the the health of the community the health of the village I mean all of that is when you talk to most coastal managers we're sitting around talking about consistency review or some particular resiliency project It seems to me in listening to you that this is so deeply connected to the people uh, and that your work in coastal management and how you approach the job is very intimate with the community and relies on this indigenous tradition and culture of the island. We could learn some things from that.
3: I believe that it's not even something, um, even in the schools, sometimes within the education system, like, From the work that we've done, the governor has established an island-wide cleanup committee consisting of the director of the Department of Public Works, Department of um, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, Mm -hmm. um, uh, the power companies, the Visitors Bureau, the television station that's uh, government-owned, and a bunch of other key people that... Would have the has the have the resources that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do sometimes I just feel like um we're so concerned about having to pay for everything that some of that stuff needs to be a little bit more long term, mm. meaning we need to have a ten minute break in school for kindergarten to go pick up the trash or something. Or, or things like that, and oh, liability, what have you.
2: Yeah,
3: it, it, it's got to be the responsibility of the individuals that are able to be educated in a system that they don't have to pay a lot for. Mm. Somehow, we have to, there's just too much lawsuits everywhere about everything that yeah. almost be pretty sure pretty you can't say hi to somebody without getting sued. Uh. So, with that being said, um, I make that kind of noise in Samoa, I, I tell my kids. I can't go out there and tell them to trash and look at your room. <laughs> look at this. Look at that. Right. We live right across the beach. And I said, children. out there, get in the beach. Yeah. You know, because it's important. It's important. I said, do you want a kayak? Yes. So after we're taking that particular program, Fautasi Challenge program, it's grown from just one cleanup. And in the villages, they have village councils, they have their own village ordinances. So, some of the village will find you $500 if you litter in their village. Wow. So, they kind of brought that back and, and things like that, just almost like a neighborhood watch, but taking back that responsibility. The only way for anything to be resilient and sustainable is to get people on board to do their part. So, we try to, ha- we need to put a fun component to it. Right. So, we've we realized not everyone's going to be on the the rowing thingy. Right. And not everybody has access to that. So we also added a canoe challenge or a paddle challenge where we do it during Coast Weeks and we tell all the people that work, hey, bring a team out. It's good morale building. It's good for your health. And we'll probably just throw in a a biggest losers contest along with it. (laughs) But all of that is to get people to talk about So we're a household name now. Everybody knows a healthy coast is a wealthy coast. Before you say a healthy coast and they just stare at you. (laughs) Now it's like everyone's like healthy coast is a wealthy coast.
1: That's tremendous. And we want to stay
3: with that message because it can be broadened in so many ways. Sometimes people come and say we need this, we need to develop this, we need to develop that. Yeah, we we can't develop anything until we have something that's viable and healthy and vibrant to develop. I mean if I was a developer and I came to our islands and I saw that people didn't care. Why would I bother? Mm. So wow. those are some of the things I mean.
1: So you have seven islands, you said, two uninhabited, two coral atolls or atolls, I guess that's how you those say are it. The, those are those are the uninhabited ones, the right. atolls, and uh, fifty-five thousand residents of American Samoa. And uh, so when you looked at, I'm really interested in how you got recruited. You said that you know when you you were approached to take this position, uh, pretty reluctantly to do that um, it sounded like you, you, previously I think you mentioned it yesterday when we were on the boat trip that that you were in community organizing and working in in the communities uh, tell us about the decision to 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 become the director of the program essentially and working with Renette and and the team that you've put together can you talk a little bit about you guys taking this role and how has it been personally and professionally to jump into this this role
3: well, I think I need to go a little bit back. I started out as a training coordinator at Hilton Hotels in Hawaii. And that was my internship. But I needed to go back home and care for my parents. It's culturally, a responsibility. I'm the eldest daughter, so is Raynette. And our role is to be there for our parents. So we went back home. Well, I went back home. And then I taught high school for two years. Um, it's like the job you can get when you get home. I mean, if you want a job, go teach, even though you're not a teacher by profession. And then I, um, I went on on my own and did some of my own, um, I, I, I fixed radiators with my dad's radiator shop. Yeah. Taught dance, did a few of those things. And, um, my husband said that there's a, there's his friend who's a director of the Department of Commerce and he wanted me to come in and run the community services block grant. Right. I don't know anything about government. So from there I was there for a few years and, um, I would have never applied for this job, but I think they couldn't find someone to take the job, so they asked me if I would be willing to take it. And I said, well, yeah, if you make it worth my while, <laughs> I'll learn about it. <laughs> and so um, I think it's it's a blessing. I was sitting in the in the, in the meeting today, and the rainette's going to talk about it, because she was in the program while I came in. She was there holding the fort down. Oh. And... Um, Jeff Payne mentioned something earlier about, you know, resilience and I feel like sometimes when you hit rock bottom or you get stuck, it, it, it helps you to make that move outside of your comfort zone, your complacency. There's no growth in complacency, right? So when I, you know, my other job I could sleep and do it, um, it's fine, but I got to this one and I had to know and learn and it, it made me want to go to work. Even though I didn't understand half of what I was reading. But now six years later, seven years later, um, what we did was I was hired as the American Samoa Coastal Management Program Manager, and we've elevated the program to a division under the, as a deputy director. So, the work that we've done, in, a, in my opinion, has elevated the program as such to be recognized as it should be, right. to balance that economic development and resource management but Renette can tell you a little bit more. My style is completely out of the realm of what <laughs> they were, were used to because we're a regulatory
1: program. Right. So. Well, Renette, tell us a little bit about, you, about your perception of the program and, and, and your perception of uh, the work that you're trying to do.
2: Yeah, well, well thank you. Um, it's an, a pleasure to um, be here, and I just want to say that uh, Sandra pretty much has been a, a blessing to the program. Um, Before she came on board I mean I've been with the program for 14 years and um, before she joined honestly I really didn't really um, know much about what we were doing or didn't really care to know I was just there to do my job and that was pretty much the mentality of a lot of the staff members but um, she's truly a testament of um, you know, you got to be accountable for what you do. She's very passionate about everything she's, you know, brought into the program. She's, um, her, the, her management style is more, she walks the talk. And what she, she, she does, she expects from her people. And um, she's brought a lot of us out of our comfort zone and though we're all very proud to be Samoan, she's taken it to a whole nother level and um, made the program something that uh, we all um, enjoy coming to work and doing the work, you know, and um, meeting the goals and um, um, priorities that um, she has set in place. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, a very rewarding journey with um, Sandra
1: fantastic i mean her passion does come across you can't help it but see it Um, and the work that you guys have done clearly in engaging the community and bringing the awareness to a new level Uh, when you're looking down the road a little bit um, what is it that is sort of at the top of your list to accomplish say in the next couple of years what is the what's your highest priority or uh, where what area do you feel like is most important in the work that you're doing
3: well, right now, I also want to make sure I state that as, as fun and as passionate as we are about what we do, there's, there's gaps, there's challenges, there's, there's people who, who, who are above us that feel um, there's other priorities more important. Mm. Um, but that's the challenge in itself. Yeah. There's always got to be a way to do it. As for me, in, in moving forward, I want to leave the program with a staff that has that passion, to continue the work, whichever way it takes them. I think we should be open to creativity, to new ways of doing it. Maybe it's not gonna be the Fautasi Challenge Program. Maybe it's gonna be a whole different program. But one of the priorities that we really have to uh, hone in on as as an island is the impacts of sea level rise and the erosion along the coasts. And providing um, tools, you know, creating toolkits that people can easily grab and know what to do, not just the people who work there, but toolkits that are continually being refined and, and um, improved and, and what mm-hmm. have you. And I say, when I say toolkits, I'm talking about we have someone who needs to build a home and it's going to be sitting in a floodplain area. Can we create a few green designs for them so they don't have to go out and pay for it? So that when they're building, they're already building with mitigation and resilience already part of the plan. That's great. Okay. Another toolkit was I'm living on the ocean. The ocean is creeping up. Who do I call? What do I do? What kind of resources do I have? What needs to be said here is we don't have options as far as relocation only because of our communal land system. The lands that are owned on the on the beachfront could be a different communal family from the one on the mountain. So you can't just oh. say, okay, you can't live here anymore. We're going to move you. There's really not a lot, less than 10% of freehold land to purchase in. And if you're already someone below poverty level, you can't purchase it, right? right. So what do you do? What can you do? And, um... And moving forward, I, I really want to see our village mayors and our village councils uh, more educated in how to be accountable in a way that can qualify them for resources to do some of the work that they know needs to be identified, be identified. I'd like to see each village um, uh, wrap or, or build their own story tourism-wise, so that if you came to Samoa, you had to come like a million times just to to get the experience of every single village because every village has their own. So build their own sustainable uh, economy within the village to sustain and strengthen the culture because we need to hold on to that culture. That traditional framework is just, it blows my mind, the way it's set up. And we really need to re-educate our own young people of the value of that because there's been a lot of... um, disgruntled or just you know i don't want to do that anymore it's too much work you know we're getting too lazy i don't know how to do that i don't know how to fix that but right we just have to create the environment for people to want to do things i always ask my son make your brother want to do it because <laughs> as long as he feels like he has to do it he will always resent it and right. so that's the goal is changing the have to to the need to and then the want to
1: absolutely true it's one of the great motivators if you understand something and you appreciate the beauty of the water in the near shore all of a sudden you're caring for it out of your heart not out of an obligation and that is in a very important uh, part of all good coastal management is under the depth of understanding people have for what's at stake and their motivation to act to i just need it. to
3: mention one more thing um it's it's a pleasure to work under the direction of our governor, Lolo Matalasi Molinga, and his lieutenant governor, Lemanu Pele Timonga. Because they really do empower us and support us in the work that we do. And our director, Kinseli Lafayele, um, they, they have given us the trust. One of the things I talk about a lot is whenever I started for the first year, I didn't do anything but BRT. You know what that is? I don't. Build relationships of trust. Ah. The first thing you need to do in anything you do is build relationships like of it. trust. I like it. Once that's there, everything else is easy.
1: Right. You got to have that foundation.
3: And it's it's work. You got to go meet people. Stop emailing them. Go see them in person. Talk to them. Build the relationship before you send a letter or a text or an right. email. That's how person, I feel. In person,
1: face to face.
3: BRT. BRT, mm-hmm. people. That's the way to go. Yeah.
1: Raina, closing <laughs> thoughts from you um, about... Your work,
2: well, oh, my work is boring. After <laughs> Sandra, no one cares about my work.
1: <laughs> Finance and personnel. No, uh, she manager. keeps us in check. She gives me the know. people
3: I need and make sure we're spending the money accordingly, and make sure there's that dollar is stretched as far as we can go.
1: Yeah, no, you absolutely have right. to be good at the money. You can't be successful in government programs unless you're good about money and you know how to manage it well. So, Raynette... I'm not willing to, to, you know, uh, say that it doesn't matter. I know it does. (laughs) But uh, ladies and gentlemen, on the American Shoreline podcast, we are so happy to have had Sandra, let me just see if I can do it, Fuima Ono Luchu, who is the (laughs) deputy director of the Division of Resources Management for American Samoa Department of Commerce, essentially the head of the coastal program, and her right and left hand best friend and <laughs> compatriot in, in her work, Raynette Thompson. Nico, thank you guys for t- uh, inter- you. introducing so us to this fantastic place. You and have
3: to say it with us. A healthy coast. Ready, go. A, a healthy, healthy coast is a wealthy, wealthy coast.
1: coast. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I okay. agree. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a great remainder of the conference and thanks for being on the American Troller Podcast. Never coming
2: back again.